While we are still waiting on all results from the midterm elections, pro-democracy and pro-normal were the big winners of election night. The big losers, Donald Trump, MAGA, fascism, BS polls and big TV networks pushing false narratives of doom and gloom and a red wave wipeout. A red wave did not materialize and nothing close to it. Election results are still being counted and control of both the Senate and the House remain in play. Control of the Senate and House have not been called as of this live recording, but we are live and that could change at any moment. In the Senate, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker are headed into a runoff in Georgia. And while the runoff is very important, just how important it may be for control of the Senate will be determined by the results in Arizona and Nevada Senate races, which are still being counted. I remain cautiously optimistic about Democratic control of the Senate. And many House races are still being counted. Control is still up for grabs, although the path for Democratic control appears more difficult. It is still doable. Nonetheless, Democrats won many House races that they were expected to lose. And Democrats had a phenomenal election day in state races, winning key governorships and flipping state houses. There were also important victories for ballot initiatives protecting women's reproductive rights across the country. Donald Trump, meanwhile, is swirling the drain. He is being attacked by Murdoch and Republicans. And in response, Trump has been making deranged posts attacking Fox and DeSantis and Republicans and declaring victory and what a success the election was for him. In addition to election news, we will also be discussing a ruling by a federal judge in Florida sanctioning Trump's lawyer, Alina Haba, $50,000 for (laughs) filing a frivolous lawsuit against a former Clinton advisor. More sanctions totaling over $1 million brought by Hillary Clinton and others have not been ruled on yet, but it follows that a similar ruling would likely occur there. The judge also stated in his ruling, he may refer Alina Haba to the state bar for disciplinary investigations. This means she could potentially lose her law license if that takes place. But just moments ago, a very bad ruling was handed down in Texas by a Trump-appointed federal judge declaring the student debt cancellation program by Biden unconstitutional and blocking it from being implemented. While the Biden administration will no doubt appeal, it will go before a very radical right Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. I've reviewed the 26 page order that was just handed down. We will discuss it on the podcast. And it was a good day for the economy with inflation slowing and a good day for Ukraine with Russia retreating from the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson. This is the Midas Touch podcast. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Brett and Jordy. And Brett, did you notice that the Trump judge waited 
until right after the election to strike down the student debt cancellation program. And Putin did the same exact thing before retreating mm, from Kursan. Interesting, interesting tells, timing. That's it all tells I gotta you say. a lot. It certainly does. I mean, I uh, I certainly believe in coincidences a lot of the times, but there are certain things that you look at and you go, that is no coincidence right there. But guess what? There's still elections going on and there's still a fight to be had. And I think every single day, uh, the contrast between what Democrats are doing for people and what Republicans are doing is becoming more and more clear. And I think this is just going to widen the divide and make it more apparent how Republicans are bad for the people of this country, bad for students bad for the world, bad for Ukraine. I mean, I think it's no surprise that there was no red wave considering, you know, one of the jokes that we've kind of had on the show, I feel like over the past couple of years is we've said, it's almost like they're trying to lose. It's almost like they're <laughs> trying to do everything imaginable to throw the election. And they're not going to learn the right lessons. And I think we could speak about what this election so far has taught us in a little bit. Um, but first, I'll toss it over to Jordy. Jordy, how are you doing today? You got like a disco vibe going on. I'm doing today, well. I, I'm going to I'm going to fix this. I'll disappear for a second. But for those listening right now only, my Midas touch sign in the back that sits behind me that glows blue is freaking out. I guess it's really excited for this episode. So I'll do a quick fix. I'll disappear for a second. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pumped to get involved in this. Episode, I feel like so we got to play some disco music for you or something. I, I just it's a party for the, for the viewers right now. I'm hurting their eyes, but let me fix this and I'll be right back. You guys keep going. I'm doing well. Fix that, Jordy. Brett, some of the big lessons are you can't listen to these BS polls that the media is pushing. You know, the media bought into the right wing echo chambers, fascist braggadocia, right? They just accepted all of that as fact. They pushed the red wave narrative even when yep. the data suggested otherwise. And we had on our podcast before Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier, people who were actually looking at the data. And we had collated about 40 million early votes, which reflected significant trends taking place, which carried through to election day. And the media was just ignoring the data right before them and, and, and not only on ignoring they were mocking they were outright deriding and even mentioned simon by name in some cases so i found this clip which somebody sent me from the 538 podcast it's nate silver and whoever the co-host is i forget the name of the co-host and they are speaking about this concept in which simon rosenberg put forth that said you know what a lot of these polls look like they are from Republican pollsters that are specifically put there to game the averages and make it appear like it is a red wave. And the data that we're looking at over here, the early voting data, it does not match these polls. The early voting data shows incredible Democratic enthusiasm. So I just wanted to, I, I, we got to play this. This is the clip from the 538 podcast from last week of them talking about this notion that Simon ended up being right about. And listen to just the smugness and the arrogance by which they dismiss Simon here. I'm going to try to understand why those polling averages are so close. Is it one, because this is truly just one of the closest races for the Senate we have ever seen? Or is it two, that institutional pollsters are showing an advantage for Democrats and partisan pollsters are showing an advantage for Republicans and those two oh, no. things are canceling each other out? Oh, no. Oh, no. Not this partisan pollster bullshit. I mean, you had to expect it. Not this bullshit, dude. You had to expect it. I've never seen so much hopium smoke done. <laughs> What's the guy's name? Like Simon Rosenberg or something? 
you're talking someone someone on Twitter was like, look, I counted up look all the of the early- polling in the all of the polls in 538's polling average, and a good portion of them are now Republican partisan pollsters, which that is correct. And I'm sure that people who are looking at the details enough to see which polls are actually showing up in our averages yeah. will notice that this year in particular, there are a lot more partisan pollsters and that those partisan pollsters tend to be Republican and tend to have better numbers for Republicans. So I understand discouraging people from, you know, we support D.A.R.E. We don't want people using any kinds of drugs, including hopium. <laughs> However, let, let's explain to folks what's going on with a little generosity here. Big oof, big oof from 538. And just, you know, I, I think you could be defensive of your own models. I understand we wanted to defend your own models and stuff. But when someone proposes an idea that is based on actual data, to just dismiss it outright like that with that level of smugness to me says a lot that you are high on your own supply of I don't, not, not hopium, but whatever it is that you're smoking over there. Arrogance. Um, arrogance of just arrogance. Absolutely. And you know what? I I actually do think that 538 often probably, it probably gets a little more shit than they deserve because what they are trying to show is probability, not the outcomes. So if something says, you know, 80% of the time this happens, 20% of the time this happens and the 20% wins, that doesn't mean that the results should have been 80, 20. That means in 20 out of a hundred scenarios, they win, you know, so they kind of are protected in that way. But for them to dismiss the notion, you know, it's all about data in, data out, right? And you, if you are inputting crap data, which is basically what Simon called out early on, mm-hmm. then your results are going to be crap results. And they refuse to admit it. They were blinded by their own arrogance. And I think they look really dumb after all this. Simon looks like a genius, but he was just following the raw numbers put in front of him. And that's why Democrats had a much better than expected night. Can I just Jordan. say this too? Could you imagine if our viewers tuned into this show and we talked with that type of smugness and arrogance. Now, I don't, I don't know these people from 538. <laughs> they could be Midas fans. Yeah. I don't know. But check your tone, fellas. Sheesh. Who Jordy is on like Kendrick on Lamar, notice. Jordy? Sit down. Be humble. Yeah. <laughs> Sit down. Because what they even went after Simon for was laughable. Oh, and then we have this guy who's actually reading the data. It's like y'all just went with a narrative and be. Uh, Jordy, it was one. I, I'll do one. I'll do one more though. So two. They dismissed him, who was a guy who has worked on over seventeen election cycles. They dismissed yeah, him as that guy dude. on Twitter, <laughs> the dude on Twitter. Like, I like. Yes, people have like people don't people have Twitter accounts. Organizations have Twitter accounts. That doesn't mean they are just some dude on Twitter. These are real people with real experiences, real businesses, and you should understand and listen to their expertise. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and Brett, when Simon and Tom Bonier, when they were out there talking about this on Twitter and I was delving into their data. You know what I did before I had them as guests on the show? Here's a novel concept. Let's hear it. I did my due diligence. I called Mm. them up. I spoke to them. I asked them questions about their model. I probed deeply into it. And I said, you know what? All of that makes sense. Let me see the numbers. I looked at the numbers. I said, these numbers make sense. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, and we were talking about it, Brett and Jordy. We were like, wait a minute, like, why is no one else talking about this? Yes. You know, and it's the same reason though, Brett, why we sometimes ask each other. We're like, why is it just us sometimes talking about these things? And <laughs> and, it, and it's like, you have to just look at the data. You have to, I think it's because 
we don't have a political background and because we haven't been jaded and in these spaces for so long that we've looked at it from our own professional experiences, which were not yeah. deeply rooted in it. So we take a fresh look at it, but I'm like, well, why isn't anyone talking about this? Or even most recently, Brett, what I'm asking the media now is I'm like, okay, all I hear the media talking about right now, because they go right back into the next narrative. The, next, the next horse race, is, yeah is Ron DeSantis is the greatest ever. And they want to build Ron DeSantis as the next Trump. They want to mm -hmm. build him as the next strong man. You would think that there was no other races right now so other true. than, right. Other than the national races and the state race in Florida. Like you wouldn't know, like, what about Gavin Newsom? Like Gavin Newsom crushed it or in Colorado, Jared Polis or in Connecticut, Ned Lamont or in Delaware, John Carney or in Hawaii, Josh Green or in Illinois, JB Pritzker or in Kansas, in Kansas, Laura Kelly in Kentucky. Andy Bashir in Louisiana and Maine and Maryland, Westmore and Massachusetts, Maura Healy. How about in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmore, Minnesota, Tim Walls? Or how about New Jersey, Phil Murphy? Or how about New Mexico? Or how about New York, Kathy Hochul? How about North Carolina, Roy Cooper? How about Pennsylvania? Josh Shapiro, shout out Josh. How about Rhode Island, Daniel McKee? How about Washington, Jay Inslee? How about Wisconsin, Tony Evers? Like in almost all of those races too, mm -hmm. the media had predicted these were going to be disasters for Democrats. And these were convincing mandate style wins with big state house flips as well. The Michigan state house flip, like full control there. In Pennsylvania, the state house flip. Minnesota, the state house flipped. So Massive, big yeah. state races. But what's the media talking about? Who? This was the question they asked Biden at the press conference. They said, so who do you think is tougher Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? And how will that impact your decision in 2024? Who's tougher? And Biden just laughed it off. And Biden's like, you think I really care about that? Like, He's like, let fun. him fight. Let him fight. Be, let, let, let him fight. fight. Okay. Can we, ask, can we have a real serious question? But right back to the next narrative. Please, of this morning, Ben, Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC, uh, was her whole segment was every single guest that came on one by one. It was, should President Biden run again? Do you think President Biden should run run again. You know, voters in the exit polls say they're not sure if he should run again. Do you think he should run again? The guy just had the most successful midterm election of an incumbent president in decades and decades Historic. and decades. Historic. And you are acting like Ron DeSantis is somehow a stronger political figure right now who is able to win in Florida. But I don't think the DeSantis success story, I don't think that translates to the rest of the country. I think the rest of the country, in fact, absolutely repudiated the DeSantis style of politics, repudiated this overall MAGA style of politics. And I think when you actually reflect on the past few weeks, the past few months, the buildup to the election, I might get a little flamed for this, maybe just a little bit. But I got to say, I think Democrats actually had A plus messaging this cycle. I think the messaging was very strong. And I think the Republicans who people often build up, who the media often build up, who people on the line often build up as having this incredible messaging infrastructure. Oh my God, look at this genius messaging and the branding and everything they do. I think their messaging was horrible 
coming into it. And every step of the way, the media, and I'm not just speaking about Fox, but the media like CNN doubted the democratic strategy here of focusing on things like January 6th, on democracy, on abortion, on social security, on student debt. I mean, they were writing the obituaries of this midterm cycle before it ended saying perhaps Democrats shouldn't have even talked about abortion these last few weeks. Perhaps they should have done a total shift to the economy. Perhaps they should have talked more about gas prices. And all that was being talked about and abortion is part of the economy and part of all that as well. But I think voters ended up seeing through it. And I think the Democratic messaging was strong. I mean, I just think back, think back at some of the things that we featured here on our show and the things that went viral. And I think a lot of people will say, okay, Democrat, their policies are good, but the messaging sucks. The policies are part of the messaging. Like the messaging Mm. isn't just what bumper sticker you have or what mean name you call somebody like Donald Trump. But remember day in and day out, putting those bills on the floor, uh, you know, with the, infra- well, first off, we passed the PACT Act, the Infrastructure Act, mm-hmm. the CHIP Act, but think about putting on the floor row codification, same-sex marriage codification, insulin price reductions, and then pouncing every single day when Republicans didn't vote all those things. That was all part of the messaging strategy. Think about all those incredible Democrats in state houses across the country, the Mallory McMorrows, the mm. Joanna McClintons, the Katie Bergs, who gave those incredibly passionate speeches in the state house about woman bodily autonomy. That was all messaging at the time. And that all led to eventually the president, the, the, the closers with President Obama coming in and, and Biden and stuff really sealing the deal. You had Josh Shapiro giving the passionate speech. That's all messaging out there. And it might not be a bumper sticker. Plus, the biggest, you want to talk about names or whatever, probably the most effective branding of the cycle was the phrase MAGA Republican. Mm-hmm. MAGA Republican was a term that didn't just come out of thin air. It was used very strategically by the Biden administration, by Democrats, to accurately brand the Republican Party as the party of extremists. Rovember, which I will take credit for us helping to popularize Rovember, making the big push over the summer. Rovember. I think that is incredible messaging that rallied people and, and was a huge thing in this campaign. Major, major, major. That's all messaging. And I think that's all stuff that we can learn on. And can we do better? Absolutely. But I think we have to give credit where credit's due on on those things. I know there are people who don't agree with me. I'm not saying it's <laughs> you know perfect, but I think if all things considered, I mean, what were, what were what was the Republican? You guys tell me, what was the Republicans message at the end? That they How were going to ban abortion nationwide? How great is Donald Trump? MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. Uh, the 2020 election needs to be overturned. January 6th insurrectionists are political prisoners. Paul we need Pelosi, a big- fake, the f- a fake attack from a gay lover. Like they, 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 they that, that was their messaging heading into the midterms, not how they're going to help people. I, I, I genuinely don't understand how you look at the two parties and say that the Democrats didn't totally crush the Republicans when it came to messaging. And the only reason right now that Republicans even have a shot at the House is because of the gerrymandering that they put up, especially in Florida with DeSantis, who drew his own maps based around racial lines that wouldn't have even been allowed before the gutting of the Voting Rights Act. Like, that's the only reason why Republicans even have a shot right now of retaining the House. It should have never been this close. Because we forget, you know, in 2013, the Supreme Court basically overruled what was called the pre-clearance requirement. Technically, the Supreme Court overruled the formula for pre-clearance, but you used to have to get maps approved by the Department of Justice in a three-judge panel, and that approval process happened at the outset. 
Now the states were permitted for the very first time to basically pass their racist gerrymandered maps. Then civil rights groups, the burden would be on them to have to sue the state. But what happened, like what DeSantis did and all these Republican governors did is you wait till the very last minute to pass your map. And then the Supreme Court has adopted this doctrine that if the map is changed so close to the election that the Supreme Court won't disrupt a map, they go oh, too close to the election. We can't do anything. And so then they don't even rule on it and then dismiss the challenges to it. So it was all gamed in a way that actually has never before happened since the new census and since this 2013 Supreme Court ruling gutting the pre-clearance requirement. Brett, going back to the election, you know, I want to give a shout out to who I think were some of the biggest heroes. First off, to the women out there, because mm -hmm. the women once again saved the day. Um, and so real special shout out there. Um, another special shout out to Gen Z and to young voters for really coming through super, super big time <laughs> there as well. A special shout out to all the grassroots organizations mm -hmm. doing the hard work, doing the door knocking. You know, I'm so humbled here to have a platform where we can help amplify those voices because those are the most important voices. And while the mainstream media is focused on who's tougher, DeSantis or Trump and all of that BS, we've highlighted the work of the grassroots group. So if we played any part in using our microphone to point that at the people who deserve it the most, that is something that we take so seriously here. And a special shout out to independent voters as well here who rejected the fascism and the extremism. And we had done a whole series here as well uh -huh. on the Midas Touch Network about the mass exodus away from the MAGA Republican Party. That mm -hmm. wasn't a scientific data set that we had, but we had done eight parts of the series of videos about the mass exodus of independents and Republicans away from the extremism with over a million views. And literally, I forget what it was now, 30,000 comments, 40,000 comments of people sharing their own stories. Wow. So I knew something was going on when you're talking about that amount of people sharing stories, Brett. And you know, you know why that's important too? It's because, you know, I, I think when you're being fed the doom and gloom constantly as well from media sources who are saying that Democrats have absolutely no chance of winning this, Republicans have this locked up, it's history, it's, it's what's going to happen. I think when you do have an outlet where you're actually able to hear other like-minded voices who tell you that you are not alone and that you are not crazy, but there are other people like you out there who feel the same way, I think that is a very empowering thing. And I think that has an exponential effect on people who then could go around and say, oh, look, I, I met this person who also feels the same way about the Republican Party. I don't feel as bad about leaving. I, you know, my dad was a Republican. I was a Republican until last year. I no longer feel as bad about leaving. And when you look at the numbers of independents, I think it's just an, an incredible thing to see. Like when you look at some of the most important states and like in Pennsylvania, the Senate broke 58% to Fetterman from independence compared to 38% for Oz. The Arizona Senate currently is breaking 55% to Kelly. 
compared to 39% for Masters. In Georgia, that went 53% to Warnock to 42% for Walker. So independence played a massive role in getting us where we are today. Let me give you the current numbers, the current landscape of things. Obviously, this is rapidly changing. Things could even change right as we are doing the show. But currently, the House is at 192 Democratic seats to 209 Republican seats. The magic number is 218 seats needed to control the House. It's still anybody's game here. Don't let those numbers fool you. Anybody at this point could take control of the House. If all things go for the Democrats that they need, Democrats could very much retain a narrow control of the House. If Republicans contain, get control of the House, it will also be very narrow, and it will be a nightmare for whoever ends up leading that House Republican caucus, if it is Kevin McCarthy or if the knives come out for Kevin McCarthy, which has already begun to happen on that side because they all hate each other. The Senate is currently at 48 Democratic seats compared to 49 Republican seats. Things are looking good for the Democrats there. The money is on that Democrats will likely keep the Senate. We'll have to see what happens when the votes are in. We are not people who call races or anything like that before they happen. Um, we could speculate based on the data, but that's it. I saw a lot of people really rushing a little early to judgment on like the Bobert Frisch race, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but I think that was a little premature. In Arizona, though, we're seeing Mark Kelly with a pretty decent lead over Republican Blake Masters, 51.5% to Masters, 46.3%, with 71% of the vote counted. In the governor's race there, Hobbs has a narrow lead, 50.4% to Carrie Lake's 49 with 76% reporting. Georgia is headed to a runoff, of course. Warnock at 49.6% to Walker's 48.3%. And we could speak about that runoff shortly. Nevada, Adam Laxalt is at 49.4% versus the Democrat, Catherine Cortez Mastos, 47.6%. of that vote is in, but there are lots of votes still to come there from Democratic-leaning areas. People think Cortez Masto can still pull this off. Once again, we will wait and see and let you know what happens there. In Colorado, we were talking about Adam Frisch versus Lauren Boebert. I think that is much closer than anybody has possibly anticipated. Mm -hmm. We had Adam Frisch on our show a few weeks ago who outlined his strategy of how he was going to get those independents and disaffected Republican voters to his side. It seems to have been working great. Uh, Boebert recently, she expanded her lead. Uh, she holds about a 1,229 vote lead with 98% reporting. It's clear that this one Definitely is going to have a recount, like 100% there will be a recount. I think it's an auto recount if it's anywhere under 0.5%. Oh, really? In the count. Yeah, so that will go to a recount, but it's also going to rely a lot on ballot curing, which is the process by which people are able to fix ballots that were rejected. So if you're in that district, or if you know anybody who lives in that district who may have submitted a vote by mail ballot, an absentee ballot, whatever it may be, have them check on the status of their ballot because they could still fix it if for whatever reason, you know, the date was wrong or the signature was wrong. However they do it there, they have ways that you could go, you could claim your ballot, you could fix it and make sure it counts. And that's going to be a huge part of the process here. But at the end of the day, the big story, a blue wall held, a blue wall that was built by young voters, by women and independents held strong against this non-existent red wave. And so we should all be incredibly proud of that. And we'll, of course, bring you the updates as they come. What I always said, too, was the most important day 
after the election was going to be literally the day after. Because the question is, is are we going to roll up our sleeves, regardless of what the results were going to be? Because the pro-democracy movement is not just one election cycle, right? What we are mm -hmm. trying to build here is generational. And that is the type of generational thing we need to combat with the right wing fascist echo chamber that has been building. Yes, it's been manifested in Trump, but it has been building for decades and decades. And I go back to what occurred in 2013, which we talked about earlier with the Voting Rights Act being chipped away at. And essentially, since the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Steps were undertaken by Republicans to try to get rid of it. And so this is a generational challenge. And we have to start building now, not just for 2024, but for 2026, for 2028, 2030. That is the focus that we have here on the Midas Touch Network. And we have to mention what's going on with Murdoch v. Trump right now, where Republicans, Murdoch, uh, Murdoch's business entities, Fox, New York Post, anything he controls, just ruthlessly and deservedly so, though, but attacking Trump. This is the cover of the New York Post. Trumpy, dumpty, Don, <laughs> who couldn't build a wall, had a great fall, and all of GOP's men put the party back together again. Clearly, Murdoch. The Republican Party is trying to get rid of this guy who they let in. They let in the snake. This is a Wall Street Journal article. Trump is the Republican Party's biggest loser. He has now flopped in 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022. And we've talked about it, that he's the biggest loser in the world. And what was always just so shocking to me is that because he was mean, to Republicans and he go, oh, he hung up on me. He wrote a mean social media post about me like that. That actually was all it took to control like and reporters. Republicans <laughs> like and yeah, it, that people were so weak, not people, Republicans, some members of the media a lot. But the Republican Party was so weak that they couldn't handle someone being mean to them and shit posting about them on social media. I mean, reflect, <laughs> reflect on that for a moment. Oh, I don't want him to do a tweet about me. I don't want him to do that. But that's the tactic that Trump now takes. Again, that's all he knows. He's got like three moves, right? You know, you basically, you shit post, you lie, you know, and then you just say, I'm the greatest ever. It's like really just three complete moves and you just go back to it. But this is a statement that he just issued. He issued it on Truth Social, right? And then he also basically put his posts. Like a yeah, fake press release. And it's it's a lot to read, but oh my uh, God. <laughs> I, I, will, I will read some of it. And then I will probably get bored because he's so annoying. Now that midterms are over and a success, Yikes. News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street, now that they are a success, I mean, read the room, buddy. News Corp, which is Fox, <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York 
Post is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state, but did, unlike other Republican governors whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, all in caps, <laughs> where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Ron came to me in desperate shape. Like, that's what I told you. I knew I would get to one paragraph and I probably couldn't make it. But let's go to the kind of the last paragraphs where it goes. This is just like 2015 and 2016, a media assault collusion when Fox News fought me to the end until I won and then they couldn't have been nicer or more supportive. The Wall Street Journal loved low energy Jeb Bush and a succession of other people as they rapidly disappeared from sight, finally falling in line with me after I easily knocked them out one by one. Blah, 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 blah. He also apparently either admits to a felony or lies about committing a felony. I'll, we'll, we'll touch on this briefly and then we'll kind of package and speak about it all. But he said, uh, this is an interesting statement that, uh, you know, uh, warrants uh, interest warrants us looking into a little bit. He said, I also fixed his campaign as in DeSantis, which had completely fallen apart. I was all in for Ron and he beat Gillum as in the Democrat Andrew Gillum. But after the race, when votes were being stolen by the corrupt election process in Broward County and Ron was going down 10,000 votes a day, along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys and the ballot theft immediately ended just prior to them running out of the votes necessary to win. I stopped his election from being stolen. Ben, what you make there? I'm um, sounds like he's admitting to a lot of crimes right there. And you can know, I just I think say this that, real quick? Can I just say this yeah. real quick. You think Jeb Bush was reading this, you know, statement like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then he gets to the last paragraph. He's like, What the hell? Why are you There's certain me? people that's gotta be like, is he really talking about me again? Like Hillary Clinton's <laughs> gotta be like again, this dude. Like, just shut up, man. So but true. first, let, let's talk about that 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 the voting thing. Because DeSantis only won that election by like So it's very fascinating here that Trump is homing in on that and basically saying that he helped rig the election for DeSantis, apparently. So I think it warrants an investigation. Not that there's any reason to believe the guy, but... I think it warrants a, a bit of a you know. There's there, there, there's so many different sides to me because there's so many positive things to be focusing on with this sure. midterm elections. So that I'm like, do I want to go down that rabbit hole? Because we do know everything with them is complete and utter projection. So everything that they say about the Democrats, which Democrats don't do because we believe in free and fair elections, I wouldn't put it past them for a second oh, to do. Totally. But it is a it is a slippery slope and a mental gymnastics as we focus on no, the pro-democracy wins to fully go down there. But Brett, yeah, that that, that absolutely seems to be a- some questions at, at minimum. But here, here's what I want to talk about. Like Trump leads off that whole uh, diatribe, whatever you want to call it. 
And he goes, the midterms, which went great, by the way. Like, this is his thing. He's trying to gaslight people into thinking the midterms went great for me because so much of his ego was on the line during those midterms. And he looks really incredibly weak and horrible. Like, you know, it looks like he took everyone's money and spent it on a private plane because that's what he did, he did. <laughs> uh, rather than actually help candidates. And ever all the candidates who he vouched for, all the candidates who he went around the country for, they all lost. I mean, he is, except for save like a couple, they did a really, 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 really bad. And meanwhile, the people who did good were the people who really rebuked Trump, the kind of more, let's call them the more normal uh, Republicans who believe in some semblance of democracy. I'm not going to give them too much credit, but they believe in some semblance of democracy. I mean, Brian Kemp did great in his election. Like hey, he had a great election. DeWine did great in his election. Brad Raffensperger, Trump's number one enemy, did great in his election. The people who struggled were the people like Tudor Dixon, the Mastrianos, the Coxes, the Lakes, who is struggling for her. I mean, she might still win, but much closer than anybody anticipated there. And I think Trump Lee needs Zeldin. to realize Zeldin in New York, who everyone was like, oh, he's going to win in New York. The, the media the, anointed Oz the next senator of Pennsylvania. It's like so the media true. already gave him the win. Yeah, they, they totally gave him the win. And if, But the thing is, is that the gaslighting works as long as people perceive you as strong, as a winner. But when everybody universally thinks that you are a huge loser which is what's happening right now in the Republican Party. I mean, even some of the more MAGA people are admitting, maybe it's time to move on from this guy. It's going to be a lot harder for Trump with his crazy truth social posts and stuff to get past people and to pull a con on them again when they know the facts here. Like This goes beyond his own gaslighting. I'm not sure that he could totally overcome it at this stage. And the Republican Party, they're going to have their own, they're going to go through some things for for a little bit, and they're going to have to figure out what they want to be. But I think ultimately they will end up landing in a bad place. Like, I don't think they're going to learn, you know what, maybe we'll make our policies more accessible for people and we'll actually try to appeal to more people. I think they're going to learn the wrong lessons. You already see them saying, we should raise the voting age. They're going to try to make it so less people can vote. They're going to try to make it, uh, their policies even more extremist because they feel, I think, also boxed in a little bit. Like, where where does the Republican Party go from here? Uh, Like, if you were them, what would you do? I'm not going to give them strategy right now. Um, <laughs> good call, good call, good job at all. But I want to I want to read this post by Chris Hayes right now, where he goes. This is about Trump. He's going to do to the GOP what he tried to do to the Capitol. <laughs> I thought that was just so. Yeah. I thought that was just so apropos there. I'll just say, tough guy, Donald Trump, tough guy. You want to really show your strength here? I mean, run as an independent, create your own party, and take on those Republicans in 2024. Show them who's boss. You're not. See how big the MAGA party really is. Let's see how big the MAGA party really is. You want to really take on the Republicans and the corrupt media? I think you need to make your own party. You need to get in there and take on the Republicans and the establishment and show them who's boss, man. Come on. week. (laughs) Let's talk about these ballot initiatives also that were a big success as well, protecting abortion rights across the country. Vermont voted to codify abortion rights into its state constitution. 
Michigan voters voted to protect the right to abortion in its state constitution. Kentucky voters rejected an amendment to the state constitution that would ban abortion. And California don't like their rights being taken away. Almost almost like that. California voters vote to codify abortion rights into its state constitution. So very important ballot initiatives. We talked about the very important wins in the state legislatures for Democrats as well. We've talked about the very important wins for the Democratic governors, and we listed who all those people were. And I just want to give one more special shout out to Gretchen Whitmer. I just thought that everyone did great. <laughs> but to me, she she just crushed it. And I just think that, I mean, I want to give props to everyone, um, but her and the others in Michigan who won um, just did such an incredible, incredible job there. Brent. And think about, you know what, uh, like before the elections, when we looked at the states that were out there and the Republican Party in those states, there were a few states where the extremists took a complete hold of those parties. And those states, in my mind, are Arizona, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. We're like, I would say those are probably like the top three there. I mean, probably Florida, too. But I would say those states where they really relied on those extremist candidates and had those extremist things, so far, they're not having the results that they hoped. But the states where they actually had more normal Republicans, they are actually doing quite a bit better. I mean, Michigan and Pennsylvania, they went all in on the nuttiest people. I mean, Doug Mastriano, a guy who literally participated in the insurrection, a guy who wore a Confederate uniform during his pictures at the Army College. Like, give me a break with that. The guy is absolutely nuts. In Michigan, you Tudor Dixon and, and, and the other people who they tried to run in Michigan. I, I mean, it's absolutely absolutely disgraceful that they would even run these candidates. Um, but I think it all ended up working out for the Democrats that they did. And I think it showed that at the end of the day, there's a big pro-normal, as Adam Frisch called it on our show, there's a big pro-normal coalition that really wants normalcy in this country that is tired of these Republican chaos agents who just want endless investigations into Hunter Biden and are want to ban abortion and to roll back same sex marriage and mm-hmm. to just all the craziness. I think people are just <clears throat> like enough. Like you look at one party that is just totally off the deep end and you look at one party who's actually governing and when you start thinking about your problems like okay inflation is an issue right and everyone's going through inflation who's going to be the party to solve it well it's certainly not going to be the party who isn't governing and is nuts maybe it's the yeah, party it's not going to be the party it's not going to be it's not going to be the party <laughs> brett who calls the insurrectionists who tried to kill police officers and took that. their feces and tried to flung it and flung it in the capitol building and I'm like that's the political party that's going to solve my problems i think people thought you know what i'm not going to go with that team i'm going to go with the team that's actually trying to pass the legislation and that's talking about the issues. Brett, should we talk about Alina Haba being sanctioned $50,000 as a result of the frivolous lawsuit that she filed? I think Jordy and I are going to need you to explain this one to me because this was much welcome news. And then I brought it up to you and you go, this isn't even the main 
one, right? Or, or something like that. So explain what's going on with Alina Haba, how much money does she owe, and what is to come for this just super talented and incredible attorney who Donald Trump decided to hire. I first. will absolutely explain it. But first, I want to tell all our viewers and listeners to check out our Patreon website and become a patron of the Midas Touch Network. We are not funded by any outside investors. Zero. No millionaire or billionaire investors who fund the both sideism media and the pro-fascism media. No, we rely purely on the Midas Mighty community. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. Patreon.com slash Midas Touch. There's a lot of different memberships there that you can join. It's a subscription, so don't worry if, if you can't do it, not a big deal. But if you can, there's a lot of great exclusive content there, exclusive Q&As with me and my brothers, That's exclusive sad. podcasts there as well exclusive merch drops there. Uh, you could even become an honorary producer on one of the memberships of the Midas Touch podcast and your, and your name will appear at the end of the Midas Touch podcast and you'll get postcards and posters. There's such great content there. But most importantly, you, we see now how important independent media is like this. And please, you can play a part in helping to grow this. So go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Again, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. You can go now or go after the show. You can write that down. So Brett, so in March, yeah, in March, Trump filed this lawsuit in federal court uh, in Florida. Uh, Alina Haba was his lawyer and they sued 29 people and they lost to all 29 people. So 29 people technically, if they <laughs> wanted to, can file these sanction wow. motions. So this is just the first person to bring the sanctions motion. Charles Dolan, who was a Clinton uh, advisor who was characterized in the complaint as being the chairman of the DNC, which he goes, I'm not the chairman of the DNC. I've never been the chairman of the DNC. He's also characterized as living in New York. He lives in Virginia. And he told them, he goes, I, I live in Virginia, not New York. And their response was Trump's lawyers. Well, there's a lot of people with the name Charles Dolan who live in New York. So we're just going to say you live in New York. He's like, but I don't. And the judge pointed that out. And the judge goes, well, that's not the real issue here. It just shows how stupid they are. I mean, that's what the, he said it in more legalese, but he said it just goes to show you that like if that's how cavalierly they're dealing with an issue like that, they're just making up facts here and everything that they're saying is completely fabricated. And so Charles Dolan did something a little bit different than some of the other litigants did who can still be entitled to sanctions. He filed under federal rule of civil procedure, federal rule 11, what's called rule 11 sanctions, where you send a warning letter uh, to the opposing side who files a frivolous motion and signs their name. And if you get the case dismissed and you give them the warning and the court finds it frivolous, you're basically entitled to all of those sanctions. Now, the court still has inherent authority to grant rule 11 sanctions, even if you don't ask for it 
it by filing this warning letter in advance. And so in the motion that was filed by Clinton and nine other litigants who got out of this frivolous lawsuit where they're seeking $1,074,000, so over a million dollars, they hadn't filed the Rule 11 warning letter, but they said, look, judge, it's so frivolous. Uh, exercise your inherent authority here and fine for sanctions uh, in this case. And there's also a statute as well that says like if a lawyer files frivolous pleadings, that they're entitled to pay the other side's attorney's fees. So Clinton and those other nine invoked that. But let me read for you just a little bit from this judge's ruling. The judge says the pleadings in this case contain factual allegations that were either knowingly false or made in reckless disregard for the truth. The court goes on to say every claim that was asserted by Trump, this is a direct quote, every claim was frivolous, most barred by settled, well-established existing law. These were political grievances masquerading as legal claims. This cannot be attributed to incompetent lawyering. It was a deliberate use of the judicial system to pursue a political agenda. And then on page 18, as the judge issues the sanctions, Judge Middlebrook says, so who is responsible for this case and others like it? The rule of law is undermined by the toxic combination of political fundraising with, with legal fees paid by political action committees, reckless and factually untrue statements by lawyers at rallies and in the media, and efforts to advance a political narrative through lawsuits without factual basis or any cognizable legal theory. Lawyers enabling this behavior, and I am pessimistic that Rule 11 alone can effectively stem this abuse, but aspects may be beyond the purview of the judiciary, requiring attention of the bar and disciplinary authorities. Additional sanctions may be appropriate, but legal filings like those at issue here should be sanctioned under Rule 11, both to penalize this conduct and deter similar conduct by these lawyers and others. And Haba herself was sanctioned. Trump can't pay it for her. She has to pay it herself. Like he can't be unethical. She'll lose her license perhaps again if Trump were to pay it for her for her to pay. And then the court said, look, if you can't pay it, submit an affidavit to me telling me about your net worth so I can determine if the sanction was too onerous or not. Because the sanction's not supposed to fully bankrupt, but come close in a serious sanction. And the court talks about how he wants the sanction to have bite. But she's facing that other million dollar sanctions. And based on this ruling, how do you think the judge is going to rule? For the other batch, probably very similar. I don't think the judge is going to grant the full million, but I think it's going to be a serious six-figure sanction that he's going to hand down. And so that is something we can all look forward to happening soon. What do you think about that, Brett? Can I just say this? Can I just can I just get a word in real quick? That'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> this judge, I know this was a quote-unquote layup of a case, yeah, but this judge gives me faith like in our legal system again. Like these, these quotes, this statement by the judge, this ruling by the judge, I just feel like over these last few years, we've seen so many quote unquote layup cases just fall the other way. And finally, we're starting to see, you know, what actually comes a, a, of a competent judge and Trump on the outs. Well, it's good to see uh, some consequences at this point. And there, were, there was another comment I think they, they said in this filing as well, Jordy, do you have it? 
Oh, which one's this? Is this the one? It was too frequent to be accidental. Yeah, it was too frequent to be accidental, they said, the judge said. So, I mean, no good for Alina Habba here. Um, mm-hmm. But our judicial system, man, it just continues to confuse and confound me over well, and over. Well, Brett, one thing can I point out this too, Brett? Yeah. So Alina Habba tried to get that case transferred away from Judge Middlebrooks in the Southern Little District of Florida. Judge Shepard, is that what You want to make a guess which judge they tried to get it in front of back in around April after it was filed? Oh, let, let, let's judge see. Eileen uh, Cannage. No. Judge, in, uh, judge Eileen Cannage. They <laughs> filed a motion to disqualify Judge Middlebrooks. And before we all knew about Judge Eileen Cannon, Middlebrooks wrote in an opinion sometime in May. He was like, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to give this to a Trump appointee, Judge Eileen Cannon. So before we all even knew, Cannon was this corrupt, inexperienced, kind of Trump lackey of a judge. He, this judge Middlebrooks had called her out back then in an order and Trump was trying to get this case in front of Judge Eileen Cannon. By the way, how do you think Judge Eileen Cannon would have ruled in this case? I bet you Judge Eileen Cannon would have allowed that case to proceed. Uh, the Trump appointee not only would not have granted sanctions, she would have denied the motion to dismiss because everything she's done on the search warrant case and finding equitable jurisdiction to assert herself in that case. There's no precedent for that anywhere. It's just a completely unlawful act. Everyone was like, how Judge Eileen Cannon get in this? I'm like, beats me. She just violated the law, you know, beats everybody, beats the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals because they've already overruled her with respect to the 100 classified records. And now they have this expedited appeal where they're going to overrule her with respect to just asserting jurisdiction in the first place. So we can expect, I believe, another good ruling late November, mid-December, where I think the 11th Circuit's going to say, what in the world? It's going to be a scathing order. They're going to say to Judge Cannon, what in the world did you do? But Brett, you're like, yeah, our judicial system has, you know, it's, that's why I like to break this down because our judicial system is so, the wheels of justice turn frequently in the right directions, but you see how it could be captured by bad actors. And this is why control of the Senate is so important, right? Because the nomination and appointment process runs through the president and the Senate, not the House of Representatives. And so one of the most important things Biden has done is appoint more judges and pro-democracy judges and the the most diverse judges in the history of this country. And so Biden has appointed so many great judges, which stands in stark contrast to these horrible judges that were appointed by Trump. And I mean horrible judges, you know, and leading the way on those horrible judges is this judge in Texas. And we've talked about him before here on the Midas Touch Network, Judge Mark Pittman. And Judge Mark Pittman is a Trump appointee. I think he was appointed in 2019. And in this case, Myra Brown versus the U.S. Department of Education, he basically ruled that the student debt cancellation program is unconstitutional and has blocked the program permanently, permanently blocked. One judge, a nationwide order blocking the student debt cancellation program. Now, 
This can be, this just happened. This just broke before we started the Midas Touch podcast and we went live. And so I read the 26 page order uh, very quickly here. Look at this um, guy, or quick reader. Huh? Big reader yeah. over here. Big quick reader over here. So the Biden I, I do want to give you credit, Ben, because people don't know this. And I'm sorry you're frustrated that I'm interrupting you, but you actually read these orders. And sometimes they're 26 pages, sometimes they're longer. And I just got to give you credit for actually doing the work. All right, back to you. Yeah. And by the way, the order came out like, what, 45 minutes before yeah, the show like came right out? It was the 26 show. page. So I had to digest the order. And look, the reality is, is that when you read all of the cases every day, the arguments that are being made by the Republicans, it's not a both sides issue, by the MAGA extremists and by the Federalist Society lawyers, they're the same arguments. So I can know right away when I read it, okay, I see what they're arguing. But what they did when Biden announced his student debt cancellation program is they flooded the zone and filed lawsuits everywhere. So you may be saying, well, I thought I heard about that case in Wisconsin. And didn't that go to the Supreme Court? And didn't Judge Amy Coney Barrett deny the relief and that and that the program stayed in effect? No, that that's that case. What about the case before the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals that the state of Nebraska filed, where the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals stayed or temporarily blocked the debt cancellation program? Well, that's another case that these MAGA Republican Federalist Society lawyers file, and they try to find the Federalist Society judge to basically not acknowledge the law and just, you know, like a Judge Eileen Cannon or here a Judge Pittman, and to basically rule whatever the Federalist Society lawyer MAGA extremist position is. They flooded the zone. They had taxpayers bring lawsuits and states bring lawsuits. But get this when I read this case, um, the MAGA extremists had, you know, they basically have these proxies. They find people to file these lawsuits, but this is who they had filed this lawsuit uh, in Texas. Uh, a plaintiff, Myra Brown and Alexander Taylor, who were identified as students who have student loans. And how Brown says that Brown is injured. Brown is ineligible for any debt forgiveness under the student cancellation program because her loans are commercial or commercially held. And Taylor is ineligible for the full 20000 in debt forgiveness under the program because he did not receive a Pell Grant. So they found a student to sue because he's getting $10,000 in debt relief and wanted 20,000 in debt relief. That's their base. No one's they're, talking about they're this right now. St students against, against other students. They had students sue students and one student who had commercially granted loans. So they're like, I'm not being helped by the program, but that's like me suing for when the banks get bailouts, right? Well, I didn't get the bailout. Why is that a different version of standing than us suing saying, well, you didn't give me that benefit? Think about how insane that is. That's what the judge is saying, that their injury is that they did not get a benefit that other people got, that everyone in the world should get the benefit. Well, under that theory, I want to get the billion dollar bailouts that the banks get. I want to get all of the tax incentives that the billionaires get when the MAGA Republicans and Republicans take control. And, I, and then I could have standing to sue. Like, that's what the issue is here. How insane is that? And so they sue. And then what the court says is under the HEROES Act, that it would be unconstitutional for Biden to invoke the HEROES Act, which was passed in 2003 as the enabling statute that lets him grant 
the student debt cancellation uh, program. And let me just read for you, if I could pull it up, what the HEROES Act says. And so it says, the HEROES Act grants the Secretary of Education the authority to waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs that the secretary deems necessary in connection with a war or other military operations or national emergency. And so here the court's ruling was that it was unconstitutional to give student debt cancellation because it wasn't in connection with a war or other military operations. But the judge just ignored the last words or national emergency. Hello, the pandemic was a national emergency. By the way, a national emergency also invoked by the Trump administration. And so that is how the ruling is based. They're saying that that only impacts war. How do I know it? That's what it says. Look, it says in the first sentence of the order, the Constitution vests all legislative powers in Congress. The power, however, can be delegated to the executive branch. But if the executive branch seeks to use that delegated power to create a law of vast economic and political significance, it must have clear congressional authorization. If not, the executive branch unconstitutionally exercises legislative powers vested in Congress. In this case, the HEROES Act, a law to provide loan assistance to military personnel, defend our nation does not provide the executive branch clear congressional authorization to create a $400 billion student loan forgiveness program. Thus, the program is an unconstitutional exercise of Congress's legislative power and must be vacated. They just ignore what the statute says. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I can't imagine why Gen Z voters voted against the Republican Party in droves here and voted for the party who was actually trying to get them student loan. Really. I mean, the whole thing is just so, so I mean, it's so insane. So what happens from here, I guess, is the natural question. Like, is this game over? It goes to a higher court. This is a lower court. It goes court. to the like, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very MAGA extremist filled court. Hmm. Um, and so I don't We'll see what the Fifth Circuit does, but like, obviously, there's going to be an immediate appeal. Um, the Biden administration is going to ask the Fifth Circuit to stay or stop the order. They're going to argue there's a probability of success on the merits because how could you find standing? How could you find their standing in these circumstances, right, where the people are saying their injury was that they got $10,000, but others are getting $20,000, or that they didn't get the relief, that that caused them an injury? It didn't cause them an injury. It's the status quo. Yes, others may have got the benefit, like a Pell Grant, but you weren't you weren't caused an injury harm, yeah. if 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 the standing requirement for harm was that I wasn't given the benefits just think about how just how warped and like for all the people are like, well, should I sue results? the Powerball because I didn't win the Powerball? Like, is this, yeah, is this exactly the natural? Point. I'm going to sue the Powerball. I didn't win the Powerball. So I feel injured and give me my money, please. Suing. I mean, it's when it's, I it's, read it's this 26 page order, Brett, and I was like, on what on what grounds? And then I, I saw that it was students. And I was, and I, I didn't know that until I read it, you know, because I had, I just hadn't been yeah. following that when I've been all focused on election coverage, and I've been focused on what the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals was doing with the state of Nebraska's lawsuit, where the state of Nebraska said their standing, their injury is they're losing tax revenue 
because they want to tax the debt relief as income in the future. That's their basis of standing. More taxes, right? I mean, it's just a warped view. There's no, there's no ideological view of these people other than cruelty it's for cruelty. cruelty's sake. It's inflicting harm. And I think, you know, it's funny in, in the end of uh, as this election, as the results come in and people see just how badly Gen Z turned against Republicans here, I think you start of, you're starting to see how are Republicans going to cope with this? How are they going to deal with this? Because they never had to worry about young voters before. Now, young voters are, are coming out in decent numbers and overwhelmingly towards Democrats. And, you know, that group's only going to continue to grow. So are you going to let that happen? And then you're just going to be totally irrelevant in 10 years from now and 20 years from now when these are the bulk of all voters? Or are you going to try to stem the bleeding a little bit? And watching Fox News and watching these Republicans, it was it was pretty interesting to see. Jordy, do you want to break down kind of what you yes, saw? Please, because you're you're spot on. It's like, of course, Gen Z's voting in mass against Republicans because they're they're trying to put Gen Z's like how should I say this? They just hate. They just hate the young voters. They 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 want to put the best interests of I don't know MAGA ultra MAGA Republicans up front, and Gen Z's like no, we're we're sick and tired of this, and now we have a voice, and now we have a vote. And so Fox News last night, I think Laura Ingraham actually acknowledged this. She said Republicans need to figure out a way to reach young voters. I think we have a video of that if we wanted to play it. So going into 2024, the Republicans are going to be looking for candidates who are focused on winning not just making a point or settling a score. So to really change the country, we're gonna to have to win and we have to win over voters outside our traditional base. That means young people too. That's gotta be the goal for the next presidential election. The populist movement is about ideas. It is not about any one person. If the voters conclude that you're putting your own ego or your own grudges ahead of what's good for the country, they're going to look elsewhere, period. Jordy, who was yeah, that a coded message to there? Who, who was she speaking to? Who was her audience of one there as well? Uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, good call. Good call. Yeah, we're not a party of one. And it's the same tired stuff that we've heard from Republicans. We need to expand outside of our base. We need to help. But you know what? The young voters don't want what Republicans are selling. Jordy, the same. Killing them? They're selling, killing them? The same night, what else does Fox News do on their channel? Who do they have on? What happened? So they have Ted Cruz on the channel. And Ted Cruz then goes on to mock young voters. He says something to the effect of, you know, why did Democrats do better than expected? Uh, because, two, you know, we have the clip. Let's just hear it from Ted himself. Up our sleeves and governing. And here's a lesson to take from last night. Look, why did the Democrats do better than expected? Because for two years, they've governed as liberals. They've governed as whacked out lefty nut jobs. And you know what that did? That excited their base. That excited a bunch of young voters that came out in massive numbers. Because when you actually stand for something, your base gets excited. There's a lesson for Republicans to learn, which is when we have right. a majority next year, we damn well better act like it and use it. He is so close yet so far. What did you think, Jordy, first when you heard that? I just don't know how you... He's so frustrating. He's so infuriating when you listen to that clip. How are you going to mock young voters while you lose 
generate a well, historical... Well, they're just these whacked out lefty nutjobs, Jordy. They're these whacked out lefty nutjobs that just, they are giving them all they want, like health care, and they want to give them like a college education. These wacky lefty nutjobs. So, of course, they're voting for them. It's like, okay, yes, guess what? When politicians deliver for people and give them a reason to vote for them, they're going to vote for them, maybe? How about that? And Ted, when he he finishes it there, Jordy, right? He, he, he's like, and that's why when we get our majority, we better use it. Do you think by any stretch of the imagination that hurts my throat so bad to do the Ted Cruz? By the way, you're doing an incredible job. Put a wig on you, grow some mutton chops or whatever the hell's going on with Ted's face. Do you think Ted Cruz means when he when he is doing his voice and he goes, well, we got to use our majority. Do you think he means to help out students with their debt relief and to give them the health care they need and to give them a leg up in this economy? No, he means like we need to use our power to investigate Hunter Biden. Like, that's what he means. Like, we need to force down our power on people. That's what he means. They're not trying to help people. And that is the issue. And they're finding out the hard way. I mean, on the one hand, you have Laura Ingram going on this whole thing or this whole message to the party. To tr- You could tell she like secretly, you know, I, she's actually quite intel. I mean, she's a smart person. She is. She's yeah. evil. She's incredibly she evil. Knows, she knows but what she's, she's very doing. smart. But she is like begging the party, like, please, guys, just be normal. Please, this is our chance. Please. And then you got Ted Cruz going, those whacked out lefty liberals. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's a winning message here to win over young voters is all I'm going to say. And another uh, group of people, Jordy, who Republicans are really struggling with right now is, is women. So what was their solution to their oh women problem. This is one of the most horrific comments I think Fox has ever put out on their platform. Jesse Waters. Just Jesse Waters, that what? whacked out Fox News. I mean, Sorry, can I we, no, no, you're fine, but can we play this Jesse Waters clip? Because I don't I don't even want to say what he said. Also, single women are breaking for Democrats by 30 points. And this makes sense when you think about how Democrat policies are designed to keep women single. But once women get married, they vote Republican. Married women, married men go for Republicans by double digits. But single women and voters under 40 have been captured by Democrats. So we need these ladies to get married. And it's time to fall in love and just settle down. Guys, go put a ring on it. They're really going through it over there. I mean, just so disgusting. Just so disgusting. Can't can't imagine why they are uh, not doing as as well as expected here. It's it's almost like that's why I've been saying the whole time. Like they're not going to learn the right lessons of yeah. this all. Like they're going to continue to attack the people who rebuke them. They're going to attack them. They're going to yell at them. They're going to do things to try to limit their power in the electoral process. I mean, ultimately, that's where this leads they're not remember that moment uh you you know remember that moment where like paul ryan and then when they were like running the congress and they lost the elections and they were like we need a more inclusive republican party we need one that's more diverse and that speaks to young people like we just went through this they had a whole republican autopsy like what was it 10 years ago or whatever and then they elected donald trump and that was the solution to their problems because I think at the end of the day, I think they are in a, a bit of a weird place in that all the kind of normal Republicans, like Ben's videos of the mass exodus say, they've kind of left mm-hmm. them. 
And they're kind of at the conservative end of the Democratic Party now. So in order to win elections, they kind of almost have boxed themselves in where they only have this crazy radical base to rely on. And so they need to fire them up and excite them because maybe reaching out to these more disaffected Republicans, maybe it's a lost cause. I think that's what they're kind of thinking internally, and they don't know how to they don't know how to deal with that. That being said, like we said, the kind of more normal Republican candidates out there are the ones who have won in these gubernatorial races and, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, but but still, like they're in a tough place because they have made their bed and now they are sleeping in it and they are going, they are right now learning the hard way as to what that means. And let me just say this too. So we talk about and we make fun of, you know, trickle down economics and how that's such that's such a bullshit mentality. There's a trickle down of hate that comes from Fox News. So when, you know, parents or grandparents or whomever that are related to family are watching Fox News and then they take to Facebook, right, or whatever social media is that they have, and they start blasting off these opinions left and right that are just these hate filled, you know, statements and comments about abortion, about women, about young voters. You know who's seeing that are the kids are the cousins, are the nieces and nephews. And they're like, holy, what, why, how did this happen to the, what's going on here? This is terrifying. There's been a rebuke of this ultra MAGA just mentality all across this nation. And I think we'll continue to see that as this pro-democracy coalition comes to fruition. And as people just start to realize like, hey, there's one party out there that wants to give people more rights, that wants to help people. And then there's a whole other party out there the other party, the Republicans, who want to strip away all of your rights, who just want to lean into fascism. And it's a scary place to be in. It's radicalization and propaganda at the end of the day. And if they told the truth about the parties and told the truth about you know what Democrats stand for and what Republicans stand for, I think very few people would actually be Republicans. So they need to make things up and they need to make Republicans hate Democrats. I mean, that's what it is. They are trying to spread this hatred so that that's why you see, you know, people on, you know, Facebook or Twitter who come into your comments, like the wackiest ones who are like the demon rats who want to turn your kids transgender and want kitty litter boxes in your school. And you're like, like, none of this is true. True. Like, Stop it. like Stop none it. of and and you say none of it's true, and then they'll show you like an article from like PatriotNews.us, and, and you're like what? Like you're being lied to. I don't know how to tell you this, but you're being lied to here. That's and I think we all want we share. The, yeah, and that's important why we share the videos that we do. Why we do the segments like the mass exodus where people can share their stories. And as I always say in those videos, I want the Midas Touch community to be, and it frankly already is on its own, which is why I just love it so much, a community of compassion, a, a welcoming community for people to come in and go, wait a minute, these are people who really love the country. And wait a minute, they're not just doing memes about how Donald Trump is like the strongest or memes of where we go one, we go all. Like they're not doing QAnon stuff or saying JFK is going to return. Like they're not, wait a minute, they're actually talking about like issues and how to improve 
working conditions and how to make wages better and how to make healthcare more affordable and accessible and the same thing with education. And they're talking about giving people freedoms. Like they're actually talking about things that affect my life. Wow. You know, and so I say, welcome. You could, you know, I, I want this community to still be welcoming, you know, and, and people shared stories too, right, Brett? Like they left after January 6th. Welcome. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Took you that long, but welcome. It's it's fine. You know, you know, I get it. You know, that type of brainwashing that takes place from billion dollar interests like Fox and like the whole MAGA right wing echo chamber apparatus. I get that it's tough to get out of. That's why I want this community to be welcoming and just spread the truth and good truth to report as well, which is inflation continues to slow down. Inflation slowed down on the consumer price index reported on Thursday, which was great for the markets. And consumer price increases ease to 7.7% in October, which is a sign that the persistent inflation that has plagued the U.S. economy is showing glimmer of cooling off. And we've talked about it. Inflation is a global problem. Um, It's not just unique right here, you know, and actually, if you look compared to globally, we're doing among the best here in the United States. But what I like about Biden and Democrats and the pro-democracy coalition is that when there is a problem, we don't go, oh, that's not a problem, or oh, just, just inject yourself with bleach, or oh, no, 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 that's just, it's all one big lie, things are great right here, don't believe what you're hearing or seeing or feeling, just trust me, I have all the answers. That Donald Trump MAGA approach to everything and anything. I remember when Obama was on the campaign trail. And by the way, props to Obama. I think Obama's closing message, right? Oh, yeah. Was a home run. And when he talked about, he was like, yeah, when we had a deal with H1N1 and Ebola, he was like, guess what? We addressed it. We fixed it. Because we believe in science <laughs> in our party. You know, and I'm like, yes, we do. We believe, we believe in science. Like the very fact, by the way, Pittman, that judge who uh, blocked the student debt cancellation program, he's been basically their go-to on all COVID conspiracies. So any of those really horrible COVID rulings that you heard about, you're like, what the hell are they doing in Texas? Almost always Pittman was the one who was like the pro-COVID judge that you would try to draw. And they tried to find others, but that all would he go. He was reliable. Yeah. And then good news to report internationally, right? Kherson, Russian troops retreating from Kherson eight and a half months into this thing. They wait until the day after the uh, election to have. And we to said in- right away, we were like on the nose there. Right when we saw this, we all said to each other, we're like, that's interesting. The the timing of that is is interesting. And I think it does say a lot. First off, you had one of those like, you know, those weird uh, propaganda stations that we'll see clips from that looks like they're on the set of like who wants to be a millionaire, like Russian edition, Uh, like one of the propagandists. You know what I'm talking about? One of the propagandists on that, right? You're like, what? what Sometimes people do like this. It's a great comparison. It's exactly what it looks like. I can never tell what's real or not true with what they're saying, though, because sometimes people do the parodies with them. (laughs) But these were real quotes from a real source from somebody who studies this. So I trust that it was true. And the propagandist on one of these channels admitted that they waited till after the midterms. Now, what does that tell us? I think it directly tells us that Putin sees his fortunes in Ukraine directly tied in a lot of ways 
to who controls the government in the United States. And I think he was really banking on a huge Republican majority to end funding to Ukraine, which I think speaks volumes here, which is why it's so incredibly important. And even like at first when I said that before the propagandist even, you know, said anything on the who wants to be a millionaire show, um, Biden ended up making a comment about that to some to the effect of oh, interesting timing, isn't it? And so I'm like, OK, if if the president is saying that, too, it's not just my mind running amok. It's 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 a legitimate thing here uh, that Biden found it interesting. But good news for Ukraine there. Uh, you know, thanks for the update. But hey, listen, and I mean, two things to say there, Brett, why Kherson is important. One, it's the only Ukrainian regional capital that Russia managed to take over since its invasion in February and holds a lot of strategic importance uh, for that and for the rest of the counteroffensive by the Ukrainians. I've been speaking with Ben Rhodes, the former commander of Army Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we're going to do another update uh, with him. But also, you, you mentioned Biden there, Brett. Cool, calm, collective. You know, he didn't, I don't know if we have the video um, of Trump the day after the 2018 when he was asked questions, but Biden was cool. Yeah. So let's just show how Trump was after the midterms in 2018. Honestly, I think you should let me run the country. You run CNN. All right. And if you did it well, your ratings well, let me would be ask, much better. This is Trump talking to Jim Acosta. Mr. President, if I may, if I may ask Peter, one other question, are you worried? Of, That's enough. That's Mr. enough. Mr. President, I, well, That's I was going to ask one of the, the other folks. That's that had, enough. Pardon me, ma'am. I'm, I'm, Mr. President. That's enough. Mr. President, I had one other Peter, question, if I may ask, on, on the Russia investigation. Are you concerned that... That you may have. I'm not concerned about anything with you the may Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Are you? That's enough. Put down the mic, Mr. President. Are you worried about indictments coming down in this investigation, Mr. President? I tell you what, CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't be working for CNN. Go ahead. I, I think that's unfair. You're a very rude person. The way you treat Sarah Huckabee is horrible. And the way you treat other people are horrible. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. In, in, go in ahead, Jim, Peter. Go in, ahead. In Jim's defense, I've traveled with him and watched him. He's a diligent reporter who busts. Well, I'm not like a big fan of us. yours either. So I you understand. Know, to be honest. So let, me, so let me ask you a question, if I can. You repeatedly you said you aren't the best, Mr. President. You repeatedly over the course. Okay, of the, just sit down, please. Well, when you when you report fake news, no. When you report fake news, which CNN does a lot, you are the enemy of the people. So I have two immediate uh, responses. One, that feels like 30 years ago because I think I've aged in dog years during the Trump administration, like yes. between the Trump and COVID, which is inextricably intertwined. I think I'm getting, I literally have aged 30 what years. I look at that footage, right? That looks like it's from like 1965. <laughs> I mean, for me. It is rare. Um, right? but, but then number two, how embarrassing that is. Like just mm-hmm. for the country, for decorum internationally, like just what a freaking disgrace that is to watch that despicable person emba- it just embarrass us on a world stage, like to talk like that, to speak like that. And to take it back to where to where we had talked about it early on the onset of this podcast is that's the mentality. Just bully, bully, bully these Republicans bully the media. And in CNN's case, Jim Acosta is still a fantastic reporter, but CNN seemed to cave to, to this weird Trumpism, ultra magaism over there. I mean, that's 
uh, he just, broke them. He, he broke, broke them. them. He broke them. But, that's, but I think it's the perfect way, Brett, to wrap up this episode be, and kind of put a neat bow on it. Because what happened at this election in the midterms was a rejection of that. Exactly. exactly. It was a rejection of what you just heard and saw that type of politics. America, by the way, America rejected it in 2018, 2020. 2021 and 2022, the guy's got the biggest loser track record, number one, like just objectively on paper. But I think it was rejected in a really big way on these midterm elections. And I also just want to say, you know, this as well, though, too, you know, as you talk about the media caving, I do think, though, more than ever, this experiment that us three kind of engaged in, like I never knew that it would be here right now. But when I see the comments right now in the chat rooms, when I see hear the mighty smighty and see their comments and talk to them, and when I also see what an impact that our reporting made, the candidates we spoke to, getting the accurate information out with the data, helping to amplify uh, grassroots groups and people who needed to be heard, I couldn't be prouder with what we've built. And I couldn't be more excited, Brett and Jordy. Yes, we are brothers for people out there who watch. That's why I call them brothers. We are actually <laughs> related. We're three brothers for people. Also, I need to it. say, I, I, I need to get this out of the open because there are a lot of people in the comments who uh -oh. go, uh -oh. why does Ben and Brett have their full names and, and they are capitalized appropriately? What's up with that? And why does Jordy have his name in lowercase and no last name? And a lot of people go, brothers, have some more respect. We each control the way our names show on these live streams. So Jordy is choosing to disguise himself as <laughs> not our brother. So we could hashtag, hashtag blame Jordy for that one. What I was saying, I couldn't be, is a true statement, Brett. I couldn't be more excited though of what the future holds and the generational challenge that I know we're all up to the task together because as long as the Midas Mighty community is here, I know that we can accomplish anything. And so one of the things I would ask is that if you can to check out our Patreon, because it does go a long way. We've decided that we're not having outside investors. We have zero outside investors. So none of the investors who put money into that both sides media, the millionaire and billionaire investors, like this whole operation runs because of you. I mean, think think about that, like how incredible too that we're all in this together. And as I said, the Midas Mighty is the secret sauce here. So if you haven't become a subscriber yet of Patreon, we're already at 2,200. We picked up 200 new patrons in the past 48 hours, which is great. So now wow. we want to hit our next target is 3,000. And it goes a long way to help build this. So go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch, patreon.com slash Midas Touch, and join one of the memberships there. There's a lot of great exclusive content you can only get on Patreon. There's special Q&As that we do there, behind the scenes footage there, exclusive podcasts there. There is a membership tier there where you could become honorary producers of the Midas Touch podcast and your name will appear at the end of this podcast. Um, you can get postcards from us. There's a poster commemorating one of the membership tiers as well that you are an honorary producer and so much more. We try to make that exclusive content great there. But most importantly, wherever you are in the world, I know you subscribe 
to a lot of things and I get it. So I don't want to put any pressure on you whatsoever. But if you can, if you can have that one more subscription right here, I think that this experiment that we've all been on together is proven that it works. So if you can, join us at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Again, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. We would so appreciate it. And no matter where you are in the world, you can join. And also check out store.midastouch.com for the best unapologetically pro democracy gear store dot Midas touch.com. And now we still got the Rovember shirts and the row, row your vote shirts, which are, are commemorative now commemorating yeah. the success of the message and frankly, commemorating the courage of the women out there who really brought this home. Get your Rovember shirts and your row, row, your vote shirts at store.midastouch.com and so much other great pro-democracy gear there. Wear that Midas Touch gear out in the community and let them know you're part of the biggest pro-democracy community in the world. Store.midastouch.com and hit the subscribe button now, whether you're listening on audio or on YouTube, hit the subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor subscribe on the audio. If you're an audio listener, go to our YouTube, search Midas Touch and subscribe there. Help grow this platform on all platforms. And that's what we do here. We make sure we're accessible on each and every platform. Brett and Jordy, any final words, Brett? Well, I think people, let's keep it going, okay? We have less than a month now till a runoff election in Georgia. Let's keep this energy. Let's keep fighting. Let's take the Senate. Let's see what happens with the House. We'll be here every step of the way, but we need your energy. I want to give a huge shout out like Ben did uh, to all the activists, to everybody who knocked on a door, to everybody who sent a text message, to everybody who donated, to everybody who retweeted and uplifted candidates, to everybody who spoke to your friends and family. I want everybody to know that all those efforts made a huge difference. As we were saying the other day, we're like, a lot of the people we're talking to are speaking about voting. And a lot of the people on their side seem to be speaking about Paul Pelosi and underwear. So <laughs> I think we have something here. That was our uh, unscientific way of thinking about how the election was going to go. Um, but it's really genuinely, it's all because of you. Let's stay in this fight. We got less than a month till these runoff elections. I think we have a great shot in these runoff elections. I think actually oh. that I think that Warnock is going to have much higher numbers in this runoff for a variety of different reasons we can get into in another episode because that's a whole discussion for another time but lace up let's get to work let's make it happen Midas Mighty you are the secret sauce that makes this happen that makes this operation work and that makes our democracy work the pro-normal community and I mean that in the best way possible thanks for finding a home here with us we love you so much and we'll see you next time on the Midas Touch podcast Jordy any final words shout out to the Midas Mighty At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.